Thank you, church. Thank you, Pastor Justin. If you would turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16, sermon entitled The Dangerous Way. We're going to look at uh, the first, we'll say three verses, but it says 3a. So we're really just going to hang out that first phrase of verse 3 this morning. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3a. The precious, inerrant, infallible word of God says this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word this morning. Gracious Father, if we were to truly understand the extent to which our salvation in Christ has brought us into your holy presence, Lord, then, then worship would just be a spontaneous act taking place all the time. If, if we were truly to focus and, and meditate on all that Christ has accomplished in uniting us with him. I think the question is fair to ask, what, what would our lives look like? So Father, I, I pray for grace this morning. Grace to speak, grace to hear, grace to apply. And I pray as we go through this that the Holy Spirit would be about his work of convicting us over our sins transforming our minds, conforming them to the mind of your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, sanctify your people, we pray in your Son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So there's a mountain in China. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but it's called... Mount Huashan. Let's go ahead and just say I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I'm going to think that's a safe assumption. Um, Regardless, the mountain is still there. And it's not necessarily one of the tallest mountains, but it does carry with it one of the most dangerous paths in the world. On the mountain itself, actually I brought pictures, right? Do we have pictures back there? Good, cool. Um, On the mountain itself is a rather tall flight of stairs. In fact, this is what you see from the ground up. Um, In fact, if if you stay at the bottom of those stairs and you look up, you can't really even see where they lead. Um, They don't look very safe, but those are the stairs uh, that you climb on. And so uh, the very long staircase that's there leads to this next picture, leads to this. Um, There is some chain and some rope there along with a couple of whatever you would call those boards. Um, uh, but you can see that that doesn't look very safe. You can see why this is one of the most danger treks and dangerous treks in the entire world. In fact, at some point, the planks uh, are no longer there, and there are just footholds in the mountain and the chain and rope above you. And so, um, you may be asking, as I did, what would possibly motivate someone 
to go on this pathway? What could be at the end of this trek that would cause someone to want to go to one of the most dangerous ways in the world? And the answer is tea. That's right. At the end of this pathway, there is a tea house. And not even sweet tea, I'm sure. There's no southern sweet tea. Uh, there's, you know, other teas there. But this is the tea house. That's at, and look at all those people had to travel that pathway. It's remarkable. Well, the reality is that there is actually a much more dangerous way that we find right here in the book of Leviticus. As precarious as that seems, and as dangerous as it is, the reality is the path leading to the tabernacle right up into the Holy of Holies makes that look like a four-lane highway. There was great danger in approaching the special presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. In fact, that is our big idea this morning. And of our text, it is that the way of the Lord is dangerous. The way to the Lord is dangerous. Far more dangerous than what we just viewed up here on the screen. Now, we know that God's presence is far greater than tea. Certainly, hopefully that goes without saying. But the big idea is that the way to the Lord is dangerous. And I want us to see that from the text itself, from these two and a half uh, short verses in the book of Leviticus. In fact, first of all, the, the way the Lord, way to the Lord is dangerous because of two truths we've already seen time in and time out in the book of Leviticus. And that are, uh, these are those two truths. The way the Lord is dangerous because the Lord is holy and people are sinful. We've seen that over and over again throughout our study, haven't we? The Lord is indeed holy. That's one of the major themes of Leviticus. And because of that, we, we see that we are indeed sinful. Look with me at verse 1 of our text in Leviticus 16. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offer profane fire before the Lord and died. The way to the Lord is dangerous. Uh, we remember chapter 10, which this text is referring to, and there we read about that tragic story that took place right after that great victory in the consecration and institution of the priesthood. We had the two oldest sons of Aaron approaching the Lord in a way that he had not commanded, and it, it brought upon themselves the wrath and judgment of God. Fire consumed them. Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire that the Lord had not commanded. They attempted to approach the Lord uninvited, unprepared, and unmindful of His holiness. And they found out the hard way, that the way to the Lord is dangerous. See, our, actually our passage is the one that implies that Nadab and Abihu were attempting to enter into the Holy of Holies. Uh, they weren't just in the sanctuary, but they were actually attempting to go behind the curtain where the Lord's special presence dwells. Remember, the, the picture that we've used for this time in uh, and time again is of a throne room. Right? Th this is where the king of the universe dwells. But the king has taken for himself a people. He has become their covenant lord and they have become his covenant People And he now dwells in the throne room in the Holy of Holies. Nadab and Abihu approached it unmindful of who dwelled there. 
And, and what I want to do is I want us to compare this with what we saw in the book of Esther. Hopefully if you got the reading list, you might notice, well, why would you include that story of Esther there? But I really do want us to compare what we see with Nadab and Abihu with the book of Esther just to grasp how disrespectful and irreverent Nadab and Abihu's sin was. If you remember, the, the story of the book of Esther tells the story of a young Jewish woman named Hadassah, uh, later named Esther, who becomes queen of Persia. At one point, Esther's people, the Jews, are being threatened by a cruel, prideful, evil man who was threatening to exterminate them. The only hope of the Jewish people was that Esther the queen might go before her husband, the king of Persia, and plead with him for favor for her people on their behalf. But Esther was afraid to enter into the throne room of her own husband. She was queen of Persia and yet did not want to enter into her husband's throne room. She was mindful of his majesty. She was mindful of his power. She was mindful that he had decreed that it was not okay for anyone to come into his throne room on a whim whenever they and however they desired. Esther had no delusion about her role as queen. No delusion that it was her prerogative to enter into his throne room any way or any time she desired. Instead, she was humbled by the thought of entering the presence of her own husband. Therefore, if you remember the story, Mordecai, her uncle, asked her to go in and she hesitates. Even with the lives of her very own people hanging in the balance, being threatened, she was hesitant to go into the presence of the king, church family. How much more should one be mindful before entering into the throne room of the holy creator of the universe? The Lord, who possesses not a derived power like the king of Persia, but who is in his very nature all-powerful. Who, who is in total and complete control of all things. The Lord himself, in fact, had already decreed no one should enter or approach him uninvited without being called. So if it was dangerous for Esther to enter the throne room of her own husband, how much more so for a sinful, defiled person to enter into the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies? Listen, we've seen this throughout. Keep in mind what we've already learned through the book of Leviticus. The first seven chapters have already focused on the need for the sacrifices because though Israel had been redeemed, they are still an unclean people living in the presence of a holy God. And so these two truths, they become undeniably clear up until this point in Leviticus. And, and I'll state them again because... They're just as easily minimized in our minds. They are, the Lord is holy and people are sinful. So just as a husband of integrity would not allow his spouse to bring her adulterous partner into his marriage bed, so also the Lord of holiness will not allow adulterous people to enter into his holy place, dwelling with their infidelity. Or picture this. Use the story we just Illustrated, How would Esther have fared if before she went to her husband, the king of Persia, she committed public adultery and then entered into his royal court and sought his favor? 
I doubt she would have received it. So the Lord is holy, people are sinful. And, and because of that, the way of the Lord is dangerous. And if I'm hammering this home, it's because of this. You've never heard the gospel until you understand this. Never. This is the starting point of the gospel. It really is the starting point of the gospel. You have never heard the good news of the gospel until you have heard this. You must know who God is, and you must be aware of your desperate situation as a willful, rebellious sinner in the presence of a just God before you can ever understand the gospel. So you must have an understanding that he is good and you are not. The reality is, God is holier than you think he is. However holy you think God is right now, He's holier than that. And there's another equally valid truth here. That means you are more wretched than you think you are. I promise. God is holier than you think he is. And you are more wretched than you think you are. However wretched you think you are, it's worse than that. That's a biblical fact, Jack. This, this means... This means, hear me now, this means that apart from the Lord's salvation, friend, you are in grave danger. Like Nadab and Abihu, judgment hangs over the head of all who refuse to be mindful of God's holiness and their own sinfulness. And so you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, you know what, that's, that's really not the gospel I heard. Uh, the gospel I was introduced to, the gospel I learned, started with how much God loves me and wants me to be happy. Friend, if this is all you have learned about God, I'm telling you, you were introduced to a false God. The God who is proclaimed in many churches today is not God at all. He is an idol, a figment of our own imagination. And I, I totally understand, I know how this may come across as offensive and judgmental. But it's true. Most of us at some point in our walk have been introduced to this idol that masquerades as the God of Scripture, but is really nothing more than a God manufactured to serve us our needs, our lifestyles, and to promise us eternal life on top of it. The God presented in so many churches today is not a holy and just God, but he's more like a permissive parent who always says what we want to hear. And in this idol, God only has one attribute, and you probably know what it is, right? Love. But we got to define that term because when, when people use that love, by that what they mean is it's closer to the Hollywood, mushy, high school crush, pining away in my bedroom type of love than any true biblical depiction of love. A, a holy love that demands, that is relentless, that transforms. Is this the God that you were introduced to? And, and if it is... If you were only introduced to a God with one attribute, listen to me, you were deceived. If this God was proclaimed to you, then he bears no resemblance to who he has revealed himself to us in the book of Leviticus. He is a holy, just king who is faithful, 
Yes, he's compassionate, loving, patient, kind, and wrathful towards sin. And also, he is all of these things all of the time. But if you've not heard this God proclaimed, then you've not known God. Because it's only this one true, living, triune God who requires loving faithfulness and obedience to all of his commands. It is only this God who can and does command perfect fidelity and eternal allegiance. And so until you meet this God, you might be tempted to believe that as long as you try your best, you'll be all right. Until you meet this God, you might be tempted to believe that as long as I just do more good than bad, I'll be okay. Until you meet this God, you might be tempted to think that as long as I pray a prayer or live a certain lifestyle, it guarantees I've been reconciled to God. But hear me now, church. When you meet the holy king of the universe, when you come to grips with all that he is in his majesty, power, glory, you will respond like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 who says, Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That's the response of somebody who has met the Lord. That's the response of somebody who has encountered the God of the Scriptures. They are overwhelmed by His glory and they're terrified of their own sin. The way to the Lord is dangerous because the Lord is indeed holy, church family. And we are indeed sinful. Secondly, because the way is dangerous, that means the Lord must call. That means the Lord must Call. Look at verse 2 with me. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. If you remember all the way back in chapter 10, we actually mentioned this verse and pointed out that it really doesn't mean don't come at any time, right? Because he's about to explain what we're going to see next week, when and how Aaron is to come into the holy place. It, it means do not approach any time you desire. In other words, it's warning Aaron not to come into the holy place whenever he feels like it. It was by invitation only. Aaron is commanded not to enter the Holy of Holies whenever he wanted so that he may not die. Because the way of the Lord is dangerous. The Lord, therefore, would have to call. And this has been the reality of mankind since the fall. Don't miss this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed the unmediated presence of God. We have spoken to that at length. Uh, that dwelling in shalom with God, all things right. God appeared to them. He walked with them. His face shined upon him. They had favor with God. This is the special presence of God. It is being in right relationship with God and having all things in him. It is shalom. Adam and Eve had no fear of the presence of God. 
They were in no danger. God's presence was a delight to their souls. It was a joy unparalleled by any other comfort. It was pure and unadulterated. Listen, and and look, that's what we long for, even though we don't realize it. To experience the presence of God undefiled, unadulterated, to have that communion not hindered by our sin. And so, if you recall, Adam and Eve were banished from the special presence of the Lord in the Garden of Eden, which served as his first holy of holies, his first holy place. And then you remember what happened. The Lord placed those two cherubim with flaming sword as he drove Adam and Eve out. The picture is very clear. The way back to the Lord is dangerous. They would not and could not enter whenever and however they wanted anymore. They were no longer welcome. They would still have to be called. Just as Moses was called up into the special presence of the Lord in Mount Sinai, and Israel was warned, stay away from the mountain. So Aaron is invited into the holy place while all others are warned to stay away. The way of the Lord is dangerous. Therefore, only those who are called by the Lord may enter into his presence so that they may not die. And in fact, this is really what makes the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, so incredibly sweet. Because consider it, in, in the Old Testament era, few were called. That's the reality. In the Old Testament era, few were called. Out of all humanity, Abram was called. Out of all the nations, Israel was called. Out of all the Israel and and elders, Moses was called. Out of all the tribe of Levi, Aaron was called. Few were called and even fewer were chosen. And understanding this helps us understand the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we know in the New Testament... After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all people are called. In the Old Testament, few were called. In the New, all people are called. That's significant. The holy, just, compassionate, faithful God of Scripture sends His only begotten Son that we might be saved through Him. He lived a perfect life for us, died in our place, took upon himself the just punishment due our sin, was raised from the dead for our justification, and is given all power and authority so that when he returns, he will judge both the living and the dead. You see, by Jesus' perfect life, atoning death, and affirming resurrection, he has made a way. He has made a way for sinful people to enter the special presence of their Heavenly Father. Now the invitation is sent far and wide. All are invited to enter into the Holy of Holies in Christ. See, the general call is not discriminatory. It shows no bias. All are implored to be reconciled to God. All are called, but don't miss this. The invitation is not for you to enjoy your best life now. The invitation is not a call to be a part of a really good group of people that share your conservative convictions. This call is not into the camp of Israel. It's not into the tabernacle. This call, this calls into the Holy of Holies. That's where we're called. This call is an invitation to be seated in the heavenly places 
with Christ Jesus. It's not a call into the camp. It's not a call for a seat in the stands. It's a call into the Holy of Holies where you dwell in the presence of God even now. This call bids me to enter the Holy of Holies. Not for a brief moment each year, but day in and day out. To dwell with God and God dwelling with me. Do we get that? Because if we do, that changes everything. The call was not to live in Israel. The call is actually into the presence of God. And and so listen, because that's the case, the way to the Lord is still dangerous. It goes out to all, but the way is still dangerous. As Jesus taught, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14 We know it very well, right? Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. See, the image here is of a shepherd who's standing at a very narrow gate. In fact, it was about a a week or two ago, probably two weeks ago now, I was listening to a sermon from a gentleman who grew up in England. In England, they have these kind of stone concrete walls. They would, they would be gates to us probably. And, and, and they would have these little sheet passages in the middle of them. They have these little places in the wall that are just wide enough for a sheep to go through. So they can move from public land to private land. And when he was young, he would recall how he could just slip through those sheep gates very easily. But when he got a little bigger became too small for him. So here's the picture. The picture is of a shepherd, and he's, he's calling his sheep. Sheep hearing his voice, and they come to the shepherd, passing through the narrow gate. They follow his way. His way is hard. But they arrive safely at the gate with the shepherd because they are united to him. And if that is true, this is also true. It's also true that there are many goats who hear the call. They respond. They are on a path, and it's leading in the general direction to the one who is calling. And and, and from a distance, you might not even be able to distinguish between the sheep and the goats. They're both heading in the same direction, but one is on a difficult path that leads to a narrow gate. And the other is on a wider, easier path. The gate is broad. They will find it. And it will lead to destruction. These goats hear and respond to the same call. The reality is, church family, our churches are filled with Nadab and Abihu's. Who are on the easy way toward the wide gate. And they are in grave danger. See, this call is both an announcement and a command. The call is both an announcement and a command. The call goes out. It's the good news that Christ has died for sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. But it's also a command. It's a command to enter God's presence through Christ. 
In Matthew, in your reading this week, Jesus tells us the parable of the wedding feast. And in the parable, the king is, is holding this feast for his son. It's a huge feast. No expenses spared. Then the king sends out his servants to call the people into the feast for his son. The call is, come to the wedding feast. It, the call is not, will you please come to the wedding feast? The call is not, if, if you're not busy, you don't have anything going on, and you've got time. No, it's commanded. And if you have any doubt whether or not it's meant to be a command, in the very parable, the king's response clarifies the issue. He sends out his army to destroy those who disobeyed his command to come to the wedding feast. Likewise, the call that now goes out is not just a pronouncement of the gospel. The call that goes out is also a command to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. To enter the Holy of Holies through Christ, it's not a suggestion. It's the order of the Holy High King of the universe. Lastly, in verse 3, way to the Lord is dangerous because God is holy and people are sinful. Because the way to the Lord is dangerous, God must call. But also because the way is dangerous, that means that the Lord must lead. The Lord must lead. That first part of verse 3 that we read already, thus Aaron shall come into the holy place. Because the way is dangerous, the Lord must call, but the way is still particular. It's not vague. The Lord called Aaron to a very specific place in a specific way in which he was to enter the Lord's presence. The Lord dictates to Aaron how he may enter the Holy of Holies. Skipping steps was not an option. Getting it mostly right, also not an option. Adding our own creative flair wasn't an option. The Lord commanded exactly how, when, and why the high priest was to enter the Lord's presence. It was the Lord's way or Nadab and Abihu's. Only two options, two ways. So listen, though the call has been extended to all, the way to the Lord is no less particular this side of the cross. Though the call has been extended to all, the way to the Lord is no less particular this side of the cross. Though all have been invited, it's not an open invitation. What I mean by that, it's not an invitation when you want, where you want, and how you want. So just as the Lord had to lead Aaron in the way, so the Lord has and must lead his people. The good news is that the Bible is very clear on the way. The only way to the Father is through faith in the Son. That's what we know. We know that, right? We, we agree on that. We've got no problem with John 14, 6, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. But I'm not sure we all agree so much on the second part, or at least... If we do, it, it doesn't seem very often by the way we live. And that is, do we agree that faith in the Son, therefore, is inextricably linked to discipleship? Listen to me. These two cannot be separated. 
In Christ, there is no assurance of salvation where one does not follow Jesus Christ. Faith in the Son is inextricably linked to discipleship, to following Christ. We know Matthew 16, 24 fairly well, right? So Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, what does he must do? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The way is particular. Uh, Back to the wedding feast. Jesus explains in, in that same parable in Matthew 22. He explains in that parable, many are called and many just flat out reject the call. That's one category. You have people who hear the call to the wedding feast and they say, no thanks. I'm not really worried about what happens after I die. Because I'm, I'm living in the moment. Some will say, you know what, I, I don't need that invitation. I'm pretty sure that God and I are good because, you know, we're old friends. We grew up in church together. We're buds. I, I've had enough church stuff in the first half of my life to last me for the rest. They will be full of excuses just like they are in the parable. That's the picture. The picture of the parable is that each one has a different excuse. But listen, there's another category of people depicted in this parable. Jesus says, there will be some who hear the call and actually attempt to enter the wedding feast. They say, yeah, man, I will be there. Thank you. I'll pray the prayer. I mean, look, Free meal, I'm there, right? Food, music, wine, all sounds good for me. Sign me up. But they don't follow the Savior. And look at this text in Matthew 22 with me, verses 11 through 14. It's really, it's really heavy. In the parable it says, But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, How did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So so this man is at the feast. He says, Yes, I will come. I, I heard the call, and he responded. He showed up. He's ready to eat. He is ready for the party to begin. But there's one huge problem. He's not properly dressed. He's not clothed in the appropriate attire. He did not follow the way. He did not follow his Lord. He he may have heard the call and thought, you know what? I really don't have any plans tonight. Don't have anything better to do. I think I'll go to that wedding feast thing the king is throwing. Maybe he wanted the benefits of the feast, the the food, the fellowship, the music, getting to hang out with the king. But he had no real desire to be prepared beforehand. He was obviously mindful of who the king was, but he was not mindful of his need to revere the king. He wasn't mindful of the king's holiness, nor was he mindful of his own poor condition. He obviously heard the call, but he certainly didn't heed the call. He didn't heed the particular direction that described the one and only way people may enter the feast is in wedding attire. And much 
like the goats who hear the call and are on the easy way that leads to the broad gate. This man heard the invitation. He's one who prayed the prayer. He, he speaks Christianese. But he's headed to destruction. Why? Because he's not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the end of this man in this parable is the same of Nadab and Abihu. He entered into the presence of the Lord unprepared, was bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, so listen to me, church. We know, we affirmed it, we amended that Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. But any who are at the wedding feast who did not enter through Christ who are not clothed in his righteousness and who will not live for Christ now will find themselves speechless on the day of the Lord. They will be like Nadab and Abihu, unmindful of their danger, and their destruction will be their lot. Christ is the only way. To be united to Christ isn't accomplished by a prayer or because someone answers the right questions. We have but one hope. It is to trust in Jesus Christ, turn away from our sins, and follow him. And so, Christian, following Jesus is hard. It leads to a narrow gate. But be encouraged. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So please don't grow weary. Cling to Christ. Listen to the one who calls and follow him. Church, this is important for us. Listen, we... We have laid out, we, we use the terminology very importantly of what it looks like to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. It's worship. It's growth. It's serve. Th these aren't just things that we think would, would make us a bigger church or make us more financially stable. This is not just for the idea of protecting those who are on the verge of burnout. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. A Christian worships. That means they faithfully attend the gathering with other believers, but it's more than that. They engage in the gathering of the believers. They are attentive, longing to hear the word of God because they know it's their only hope. Friend, a Christian grows in the context of a local church with other believers, leaning upon each other, hearing from one another, growing in fellowship with each other. That's what a disciple does. It is an outward marker that I am following Christ because I desire to grow. Friend, a Christian serves at nearly any opportunity they get. That means they long to love each other enough to see the actual needs of the body, and they provide. Not just through their giving, 
but through their time. It is an outward display of the devotion they have to follow King Jesus. So friends, be encouraged. These things that were given to you, they're not perfect, but they're intended upon this upon giving you an assurance that you know that you're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can somebody be a part of our worship services, our grow services, and even serve in our grow classes and still not be a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Absolutely. But friends, it's because God knows the heart that he knows your desire for these things. So just ask yourself, am I faithful in worship? Am I faithful to grow? And am I faithful to serve? I'm going to close with the Heidelberg Catechism, if you know me, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to catechisms. I love, I love the way they teach, particularly our children doctrine, and they teach us doctrine. I know it sounds Presbyterian, don't worry, especially after last week we were affirmatively Southern Baptist. Um, but I think they're good and they're helpful. And, and, and the first um, question in the Heidelberg Catechism is a question and answer. There's a, after a consideration of these things, it seems like an appropriate place to bring it together and remind ourselves that our only comfort on this hard way, leading this narrow gate, following our Lord and Jesus Christ, is that we belong to him. So the first question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his, by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Praise God for the dangerous way and praise God that he calls us to this and we unequivocally live for him as we follow the dangerous way. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we confess together that we are among those, Lord, who have proclaimed a false idol God who is really no God at all. In, in fact, the truth is we've so worshipped and overemphasized one of your attributes that we have neglected to see, really refuse to acknowledge that you are a holy, just, all-powerful God that there is no division in part, and that you are all of these things all of the time. And when we understand that, Lord, as we understand that, we say in Isaiah, woe are we. We are a people of unclean lips. We dwell among a people of unclean lips. For we have beheld your glory in the face of your Son. Yet you have better then touched our lips with a hot coal. You have cleansed us with his blood, uniting us with his body. And for that we say thank you, Lord, for you are indeed merciful and mighty to save. We pray that you would help us 
Lord, be a church that lives as if this were true. Lord, that we would worship you, that we would grow towards you and in you, and that we would serve you, and that you would give us joy in doing so. Because yes, the way is dangerous, but in Christ, you've made the way very clear. And so we must follow. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. As we prepare in, uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper, I, I just want to remind us that this is another marker of our assurance, as we've talked about. In Christ, God demonstrated both his steadfast love and his justice. Because our sins were not overlooked. As Brother Richard has said, they, they were paid for. This means we have a hope. Even as we struggle, as we sin and repent, we know that Jesus Christ has paid the full price. And so, yes, we encounter sins in time and space, even as we're going throughout the week. Right? Tomorrow's Monday. We, we're going to get upset. We may say something foolish or sinful. We may be unkind to someone. We run into this and it impacts our heart. And part of our temptation is to think that he's surprised by this. In fact, we're surprised by it, so we think the Lord's surprised by it. That, that now the Lord is not so sure about us. But church family, he is sure. He knew your sins before you knew your sins. And in every one of them... He is paid for in the life and death of Jesus Christ. So saints, if, if you know the Lord, then I invite you to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. And if you don't know the Lord this morning, I would encourage you to look to Christ. There is no other hope. Any children that may be in here, listen, for anyone who doesn't know the Lord, there is no forgiveness of sins except through faith in Jesus Christ. This is your only hope. Let's partake of the Lord's Supper now.